At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 607th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today is Farmer Friday, a quick tidbit for growing your garden. Each episode will feature less than 10 minutes of essential content for growing your garden, and some episodes we will answer your questions. If you have one, send it to questions at urbanfarm.org. Today, we're talking with Christina Hunter with the Live Well Green podcast about soil contaminants to watch for on your urban farm or garden. Enjoy. Welcome, Christina. Thanks for having me, Greg. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. When you proposed this topic, it was like soil contaminants for our garden. What's that about? Yeah, well, you know, it's a wonderful thing to be engaged in gardening and to be growing your own food and doing activities in the soil in general is really good for us. But the reality is that there is the potential to have contaminants in our soil. And that might be even elevated when we're talking about the urban environment. So that's why I thought it might be something good to pay attention to, just so that we have it on our radar and we can minimize any potential risks. One of the things that I was made aware of, I've lived in my house for 32 years, and when they originally painted the house, there was likely lead. And so, you know, as the as the weather happens, that, that lead might slough off into the soil, maybe? Exactly. And that's really one of the main contaminants of concern that we're talking about Mm. here. When it comes to the urban environment, we have a variety of things that we should be paying attention to, and lead is one of them. And then other ones include things that we lump into the category of heavy metals. And these heavy metals are things that interfere with our nervous system. And it's especially important for developing nervous systems. So that becomes really, really relevant for young children as well as the developing fetus. So pregnant you know, mothers need to pay a special attention to that. So the heavy metals are a concern like lead. And then there's also arsenic, which is a carcinogen. It causes cancer and it can be found in naturally in some soils, but not a whole lot in this area of the world, but it is possible. And then we also have the concern with hydrocarbons. And that's not such a surprise because we know we use a lot of hydrocarbons in our gas powered vehicles and diesel powered trucks and so on. And that deposition is coming to us in a variety of ways. So it might've been, you know, spilled on the site historically or released in some uh, industrial process. And then we have those emissions coming from the busy highways and roads. And those can release small particles and those small particles drift through the air and eventually land on the soil and your yard and your house and so on. And we know that because when we 
have our windows open in the summer or in warm months, we have all kinds of dust that accumulates, mm-hmm. right, on a surface in our home. And well, that comes from somewhere. And the, those particles can just be regular dust, but it can also have contamination attached to it. And so if we have a source nearby that's releasing that type of contaminant, then it can be also deposited on our garden and in the soil that we're trying to grow our food on. So then hydrocarbons also are in the air from exhaust from vehicles, right? So I guess when it rains and, you know, when there's dust, that's when we're, where we're interacting with that. That's a really good point. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because we often think of hydrocarbons as being the type that we smell, right? When we gas up our car, if you have Mm -hmm. a gas car vehicle, you can smell it and that's volatile. It's a gas. And certainly that can, you know, come out in rainfall and so on, but the particles are also emitted. And that's especially from diesel burning vehicles. Ah. And they emit small particles. And these particles, we're beginning to know more and more about the harmful effects of those. And that's particularly um, to our respiratory system, although they might also have a role in cancer. So there's some interesting concerns associated with those smart small particulates that when we breathe them in they can be a problem and then they can be carrying other things that are called PAHs those polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons and that's another whole suite of compounds and some of those are also carcinogenic and wow. harmful to developing fetuses and so on so this is um, a variety of contaminants that we need to pay attention to and so what do we do about all of this? Yeah. So, well, it's it's interesting. So when we think about where these things are coming from, we know that we could have some historical contamination. So first, let's understand how it could be getting onto our soils and thereby be a concern for our gardening and permaculture activities. So first of all, getting to understand the site's history a little bit is really important for us. And we might know about an old industrial plant nearby or an old landfill and that type of thing might be a concern if you have that situation or even historical activities on agricultural land could lead to soil contamination. In the U.S., for example, a variety of pesticides were composed of something called lead arsenate between 1910 and 1950 or so. And that was used widely in agriculture. So we might think of agricultural land historically as being pristine, but that's not necessarily the case. And then we can also just have overuse of today's modern pesticides and herbicides by previous homeowners, because that's an activity that's relatively poorly regulated and people don't always know. They think a little is good, more might be better. So there is the potential from historical contamination. And then there's the ongoing sense of contamination from roads nearby or industry nearby. Or we might even have concerns with some of the things that might be in our garden, like um, pressure-treated lumber. Now, you might have already dealt with this on your show, but up until about 2003 to 2006, this green pressure-treated wood that was on the market had a compound called chromated copper arsenate, or CCA, and that contains arsenic, which is a known human carcinogen. And it does leach out of that pressure treated wood, that older green pressure treated. 
Now, I say 2003 to 06 because it's depending on where you were in the world, but it was roughly till 2004 in the U.S. that it stopped being able to be used for most applications in the U.S. market, aside from things that were associated with your foundation, where it can still be used in a residential setting. But this is something that we definitely don't want to have as a garden bed or anything in contact with soil because that compound can leach out of the, the pressure-treated wood. So we don't want to use pressure-treated wood at all, really, do we? We don't really. Yeah. Now, there, there's a better option if you feel you do need to, and that's the, the darker brown pressure-treated. And that one is pressure treated with a different type of process where they actually inject particles into the lumber itself. And so it's much less likely to be leached out. And so Mm. that's called MCA. So you'll see that there's a little label on the wood itself that says MCA on it. And so that's the dark brown pressure treated, which would be the safest of all the options. But we still are recommended not to burn that wood or the sawdust or to allow it to come in direct contact with food itself. So just avoid it. Yeah, exactly. Just avoid it. Just avoid pressure-treated wood. (laughs) Yeah. Now, the good news is there has been research done on a variety of contaminants in soil to see if it does potentially migrate into the food that we're growing. And yes, it, it can. But the good news is it's just at low levels, which is super. But maybe ex- to be expected, the highest levels tend to be in root vegetables, which makes a lot of sense because those root vegetables tend to be in contact with the soil for the longest period of time. Mm-hmm. So it's not a problem. We should still be paying attention and growing our vegetables and all that because we have lots of benefits from it. But if you do have concerns, you can always take your soil into a lab to get tested. And if that doesn't work for you, or if you don't know what to ask for, you can always approach your local university, their soils department will be happy to help out. And if you have some complex situation where maybe it was an industrial site or you suspect contamination nearby, there might have been a study on the soils in your area already. And your local university will be able to help you out with that. All right. Yeah, but we should definitely avoid all that old pressure-treated wood, as well as any creosote-treated old railway ties. Those are not safe either. But definitely, all of the vegetables were shown to have only low levels. And so if we are concerned still, we can just use a, a raised bed for gardening, and we can bring in new soil. And the really good news is that it's been shown that adding compost also reduces levels of contaminant by just diluting the contaminant, right? So we know compost is so great for gardens and for permaculture. So it's also great for reducing levels of contaminants. And then finally, when you do eat your veggies, you want to wash off any visible dirt. And you don't need to worry about too much soap or anything like that, but just taking off the visible dirt if you have a concern for contaminants. But regular old dirt, that's still good for you. Uh, right. It's kind of our bi- <laughs> it's kind of in our biome biome that those It is. Yeah. So a couple of things. So if we were going to test for something, you might want to check with a local lab and see if there are any issues in your area that they may know of. But Great point. lead and arsenic are two things that could be tested for, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and that's the thing that some people don't really realize, that you, you need to know what you're testing for before you send a soil sample exactly. to the lab. 
And that's a bit tricky sometimes to yeah. know what to ask for. So that's why your university might help you out. And you really want to come to it from an informed perspective. So if you have a little bit of background in it and you understand that there was a battery crushing facility nearby, well, then we can have an insight into that activity and what potential contaminants would be associated with it. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Now, have you ever heard that kale is a heavy metal bioaccumulator? Yeah. One study I saw, they did look at kale and it did not accumulate arsenic or lead at any higher level, mm. although it might be the case for some other contaminants, but that was just the, the one from Kansas State University that I looked at. Yeah, I got it. And then the other thing is, and, and I cringed in the past when people do garden consults with me, mm-hmm. and they had just purchased a property that got built on an old piece of agricultural land. Mm-hmm. If you are in the arena of looking to buy a home, do your homework to make sure that you're not actually buying on recently retired agricultural land because there's quite a bit of chemicals that are used on those, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And what's unfortunate is in addition to that, our modern agricultural practices really decimate the soil organic matter. So we have double hit there that we might have an accumulation of pesticides and herbicides. And then we also have a reduction in soil organic matter and as well as small particle size and kind of small granularity, which isn't great for pore space and root infiltration. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing about this, Christina. Tell us about your podcast and where we can find it, please. Oh, thanks so much. Well, I I just wanted to, first of all, say, don't be afraid of the produce that you are getting out of your garden. It is wonderful and healthy and great for your body, but just having an informed perspective on the potential risks is a good idea. So I am podcasting as well, and uh, but I'm just uh, I'm just a baby in this world. But the podcast is called Live Well Green with Christina Hunter, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts, and it can also be through my website, which is ChristinaHunterFlourishing.com. That's Christina with a K. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I, and I have to say, I was recently your guest on your podcast. And one of the things that I noticed about you is ha- I love the way you think. You have a, a really good critical thinking going on. And it was great fun being on, on your podcast. So go listen to Christina. I loved it as well. Thanks, Craig. You bet. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, 
head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.